We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Now, finally, it's time for our full transfer window recap. All right, we'll talk to you next time. This is the Arsenal Vision Postmatch Podcast. My name is Elliot Smith. You can me on Twitter, Yankee Gunner. That's it. Recap done. Talk to you next time. Actually, to be fair, there is quite a recap to do because while there were, it says here, no incomings, uh, there were outgoings. And I, I think that is probably going to be the bulk of our discussion today, along with maybe looking ahead a bit to what this squad still can achieve, how we got to this point, you know, who is going to be asked to step up and and how. But I think we all know that the first topic uh, is going to be Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang, and, and probably for the last time in a while is my guess, uh, if ever. But, you know, that's where we are right now. So let's dive into it with Paul. You can find him on Twitter at Pause My Fans. Hello, Pause. Woohoo! And Tim, you can find him on Twitter at Shibuto. Hello, Tim. Hello there. As you may be able to tell, I am still recording from a undisclosed location, so still uh, away from my family, which means while I am going through misery, my family is as happy as they have been in ages. So I'm glad that I can help. Uh, I am I am on a, uh, a strike. I am not going home until Arsenal bring in a new player. So I'll see you next season. Um, all right. Uh, Tim, you wrote quite beautifully about uh, Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang's lasting meaning to you as it relates to uh, winning the FA Cup on the day of, well, what could have been the day of, not quite the day of, the mm. birth of your daughter. Mm. And I think anyone who has not read that on um, on uh, the Ars Blog website should certainly do so. But let's before we get into the real nuts and bolts of this, do you want to just sort of give me your lasting impressions or, or what your, your long-term impressions of Aubameyang will be? Because once again, we find ourselves in a position with a player who was quite special to us for a period and then leaves under a cloud. And I'm wondering mm. what part of it you compartmentalize and what part of it will stay with you. Yeah, I, I choose to take the good bits, obviously. Um, I, look, essentially, he was really, really great for, what, two and a half years? Yeah. And then after that, maybe a year and a half, not so great. And, you know, we can debate the nuts and bolts of whose fault that was or where the fault lies or, you know, whether that's down to his decline or like a decline in 
the number of chances the team creates or uh, I suspect it's a bit of both of those things. It's just how how you finesse that formula, uh, what, what percentage belongs where. Um, but ultimately, like we signed, look, we knew what we were getting into, right? We signed a 29-year-old <clears throat> and a 29-year-old with a big reputation. That that was a short-term purchase. That And, and that's really what it was supposed to be and what it, it, it should have been. In hindsight, really, that that should have been a one contract purchase when you buy a twenty nine year old, and and had it been that, it would it would have been like an exceptional um, period, basically, because you think about what he did from January eighteen to you know up to the cup final in twenty twenty. You know, in hindsight, as hard as it would have been to say goodbye at that point, what what an impact that would have been that two and a half years that would have been wow, we had this guy at his peak and it was short, but it was very, very sweet. And he'd have walked off into the sunset with the FA Cup. And, <clears throat> you know, maybe we've had a manager before who should have done something similar. <laughs> yeah. Um, but After beating the very same team in the FA Cup. Numbers. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, and, you know, Arsenal really should have... I mean, I, I'm still of the opinion that um, I kind of sat on the fence at the time and said I would have him run out his contract. I wouldn't give him a new deal. But I felt like in you know the summer 2020 there was too much uncertainty with the pandemic. It would have been very very difficult to you know gauge how we replace him, what kind of money we'd have to replace him. I always felt just let him run his contract out and that would be fine. Um, and and I really think that's how it should have gone down. Um, it, I, you know, obviously you can't completely discount and pick out the bits you don't like. You know, like picking the olives off of a pizza or something. Um, they're, they're there. Um, but to be honest, I, I don't think I'll take that with me too much just because he, he's declined to some degree, right? I think that's, that's without question. Um, but I kind of look at his decline. Like I, I don't really look at him as responsible for the team not being great. Um, and maybe that's wrong of me. Maybe he has like a really big um, responsibility in that, but I kind of feel like it doesn't really matter that much who would have played up front in that time. Um, you know, uh, don't get me wrong. I think we could have done with d- definitely with a different type of striker, but even peak Abamyang, I think would have struggled to score goals last season. Definitely, uh, maybe less so this where um, you know Saka and Smith Rowe have have really kind of stepped up, um, and we've got Erdegaard now. But I, I feel like last season was just a bit of a write-off. Um, most of last season was a bit of a write-off um, from an attacking respect. So I, I don't really carry, um, you know, I, I certainly don't carry any bitterness because I don't know what happened between him and Arteta. I, I don't think I'll ever know. Um, so I, I can't have an opinion on how, you know, how much he's to blame or what he did or or anything like that. Um, so I, I think ultimately what I'll take away from this was that we signed a 29-year-old striker and we probably got what you should expect, which was he was great until he was about 31, 32, and then it wasn't that great anymore. And to be honest, in ice, in absolute isolation, I know no one wants to hear this, um, but actually getting most of his wages off the books like that to me looked impossible. I didn't think that would happen in a million years, to be honest. I thought once he signed that deal, we had him until the end of the deal. So to be able to extricate ourselves from it, I guess is a bit of a success, but 
um yeah that, that that's that, all of that stuff is just a bit too unclear to me to to really solid my memory of him yeah it, it in order to see it as a success it depends on how much you think we paid of it for him to move um i don't think it was just a straight cancellation i think there was payment there i mean there's a lot of different reporting on it but yeah i can i can definitely say obamyang was one of my favorite players before we got him he's a player who i enjoyed even if i don't think we ever had him at the peak of his powers but i enjoyed him I pretty vocally said that I had concerns about the second contract, and even I have to confess, the way this ended is not remotely in the range of outcomes I was thinking about in terms of why it might not work. I think there are two points people conflate, which is, oh, well, it doesn't matter that we got rid of him for nothing you know, due to discipline because he wasn't that good on the pitch anyway. Let's say there was zero disciplinary issues with Aubameyang. He was just an absolute model citizen, no issues whatsoever. There's no scenario where not having him is better than having him. If he was a model citizen, having Aubameyang available the balance of this season makes us better, even if he's substantially diminished. I mean, if you're saying, would you rather have Eddie or a diminished Aubameyang? I mean, I think it's pretty clear what you'd want. The the complicating factor is that's not the scenario. The scenario is that there are these disciplinary issues. And I want to get to that with you, Paul. And I will just say, um, maybe the reason I have such weird takes, Tim, is because I actually quite like olives on a pizza, Kalamata olives in particular. So I despise them. There you go. I, well, I'm a weirdo. Everybody Do we that. have a new sponsor that I? <laughs> no, this is not an olive. Uh, this is not an olive a- advertisement. Um, okay. I, I don't like pineapple on a pizza, though. I, I think I stand oh. with, with the good people who who do not believe in the quote Hawaiian pizza. Um, Paul, the the interesting thing is, so there's an article about Aubameyang's disciplinary issues at Dortmund that I came across on the ESPN website, and it was Zork talking about him in pretty blunt terms. And he says he was a model, you know, model citizen, one of the hardest training guys, never had a problem with him before, but the way he's acted now suddenly is really bad. This was when he was left out for the Champions League tie. Um, And the interesting thing about the article is it points out that Usmani Dembele kind of similarly created some disciplinary issues before he got his move. And Dembele and Aubameyang are best friends. And Aubameyang only started to have disciplinary problems at Dortmund when he was ready for his move. And I do wonder if Dembele was like, hey, this this worked for me. Maybe if you try it, you'll get your move. But the thing I'm now wondering is, how much of this, Paul, do you think was engineered? Do you think there's an extent to which Oboe's like, you know what? I just don't want to be at this club anymore. I don't have Europe or whatever the case may be. I don't get on with the, with, with the boss. I'm going to just make the situation untenable and get a move somewhere. Because as it turns out, you know, he got himself to Barcelona, uh, which seems to be where he wanted to go. I mean, hell, he took the effort to fly over there just in case it could get done. Um, I mean, do you think that there was any engineering going on here that, that some of this may have been a, a clever plan or do you think that's just two plus two equals 22? Um, no, I don't think uh, this was engineered. Um, now that's not to say that if a guy like he hasn't had a, a, a happy whatever you might say, 12 months between the malaria, the COVIDs, his mother's illness, the his form, the way the team's playing, his his not being the perfect fit. Like, you, you can imagine that that doesn't necessarily bring out his most disciplined self. Um, and so, but that's nowhere near a deliberate policy to engineer whatever. So uh, I could imagine his tough times and his his desire, it, maybe his lack of love for where he's at 
not so much the club, but the situation and a bit the club and maybe his relationship with the manager. But then if we look back to the start of this season, I mean, uh, when he came in and when he was fit, he was all guns firing and he was running around, he was pressing, he was chasing. Arteta was talking him up. And like one of the interesting things when you look back at those comments is how much Arteta talked about how hard he was now working and when talking about Lacazette and Aubameyang, how kind of if they keep that up, this is going to be great kind of thing, which kind of tells you that they had, uh, it, it sounded like they'd had a talk and they talked about what would be needed for us to be successful this season and from them in particular. And um, you can look at that in, in a few ways, but there's one side of it that says to me, uh, that it's been a little bit of an issue for wa- for a while. Not that our that Aubameyang doesn't work, but but that the degree, the intensity, um, in Arteta's mind needed to be to be more than what it was, and we saw that early with Aubameyang. The problem was it didn't turn into the performances we needed, and then COVID, uh, the issue with his mother, Lacazette playing well and the style suiting us. And I just think it's like, it's just kind of a sad situation and it hasn't worked out, but it hasn't been, kind of hasn't been a fit for a while. We might've been hopeful at the start of the year with all that pressing and running around and energy, uh, but it really didn't translate into the team playing better. It wasn't just down to him by any means. It just seems like one of those football things where, like, he's not the most flexible player in the world. If if we had a style that suited him, and I think that's been the big miss, the fact that we spent all this money to keep a player around, and he's never really seemed like the, the, the fit for us. Arteta's never really looked to want to play him through the middle. It's only in recent times he's leaned into that because we tried everything else and we paid the money and like let's start yeah. by by backing him. Um, but Martinelli playing the position Arteta really had in mind for Aubameyang as a kind of a, a wide forward from the left has shown how the role is supposed to be played. Now, he may not have reached the levels of finishing that Aubameyang could have or maybe maybe even still could, but his all-round game, I think, is what Arteta had hoped for when we extended his contract and spent the big money and and expected to see more of, and it hasn't really panned out. But it's sad. Mm. I, the the one thing I'll say about Aubameyang is he did us a real solid. Like he was the it was he never should have been a captain in normal circumstances. But when we turned to him as a club under Unai Emery and under Arsenal and under the one and a half managers that followed Unai Emery. Um, he was the only candidate, really. I mean, who else could it be? He was popular within the club. He was popular with the fans. It was a nuclear position. Every Everybody who was a senior player in the squad was nuclear. I mean, he did us a solid. And, and we owe him, in many respects, for getting us from those rocky times to where things were better. We just should have transitioned to something else. He was never, you know, you can look at him, you can look at him being interviewed after games. You know he's not the natural captain, and you know that's not his his real thing. And I didn't 
don't think Alba's any worse than any other time in his career. He might even be a little bit better being a little older, a little more mature. But Alba was always going to be Alba and do Alba things. And, you know, we talked about being a captain, being a cool captain, it being a cool job. And uh, I made a few comments at the start of the season when he said that about, like, that's not actually what the job's about. Um, And that's not really what we're like. Like, He's just, he was never the right fit for captain. It's a weird temperament, yeah. Yeah, I agree. But he did us a solid. Yeah. I mean, look, I can have affection for the player and recognize that it ended badly. And like those two things are totally compatible in my mind. I I think one of the issues, and I, I was tweeting about this, I think part of the problem with the debate around how the Oba thing ended is if you took a hundred Arsenal fans and said, what is a level of disciplinary breach that you would regard as sufficient to warrant how this was handled? Everybody would have a different answer. Some people might say persistent lateness. Some people might say literally punching Arteta in the face and you'd get every range of answer in between. Everybody's worked in different organizations, has different professional experience, has different attitudes towards how much you should tolerate, you know, star players and how much you should tolerate talent. I think there are jobs, sales jobs are a great example where sometimes precocious talent is tolerated even when the behavior isn't in line with where it needs to be. Um the problem is we don't know exactly what those transgressions were. And then people will say, well, yeah, but the truth is he wasn't that star player anymore. And I do think that that is also a, a consideration to some extent. I do wonder if Aubameyang had gotten off to the start of the season scoring a goal a game, would the discipline have been different? I I, I don't know. I'm inclined to say no, but but I don't know. Um, so we will, you know, we'll be left to sort of wonder about that. Aubameyang made some comments, Tim, since he's moved on to Barcelona. And basically said, I didn't get on with Mikel Arteta. I liked the club. Everything was good. I didn't get on with Mikel Arteta. I'm not going to speak more about it. Um, some people, I think, regard those comments as you know bad comments somehow or another. Mm. But like, is that a secret? <laughs> you know what I mean? No. Like, was anyone confused no. about that? So I, yeah, no, I don't we, re- regard great. the comments as particularly in- interesting. <laughs> no, 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 indeed. And like, the thing is that a lot of people don't think about when they see these comments is what was the question? because <laughs> the yeah, question was probably yeah, a great point. what went wrong at Arsenal yeah, and, and yeah. you know and like I, I think those are quite moderate in fact like because he, he's clearly like pissed off about it right to some well to, to I think to a large extent he's he's unhappy about it um, yeah and, and he's saying you know his relationship with the club with the players with the yeah, he, you he's know fine. He's, he's really trying to isolate that he loved Arsenal and loved being at Arsenal the yeah. issue, as we all know, was him and Arteta, and yeah. Arteta had basically said that. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And and you know, Arteta might have every right um, to have had an issue with him, but yeah, I, I I see that as a something we all already knew or could at the very least infer. And B, I think he was invited to say a lot more than that, and I think he could have, uh, especially given the fact that he's he's clearly like annoyed about it. Um, you know, he, he, he could have ripped into him, you know, he, he, he could have, there's nothing stopping him at this point. Well, can I, can I ask you a question? Th- this mm. is just my, my ex lawyer brain and conspiracy there. Brain. Yeah, yeah. 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 Arsenal is, paid is a decent like, chunk. Is there an NBA? Yeah. 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 Quite possibly. Quite possibly. Like, you know, cause they do that sometimes like when you sack a manager and it's kind of like, you can't go to another club for the rest of the season. Like, yeah, it, it could be, it yeah. could be, but, um, and, or maybe it's, you know, but I, yeah, I, I think that's, that's all quite moderate and stuff we knew 
really, wasn't it? I mean, I, I don't think there's anything particularly meaty there. But on on your point about you know, <clears throat> is is it because like, do you have like a lower threshold for a player that's in decline? The the advantage. Uh, the, the advantage the example I always go to is Roy Keane with Manchester United mm-hmm. and Roy Keane was always running his mouth off you know holding the club to ransom over contracts criticizing his teammates in the press and Ferguson tolerated it until Roy Keane was 34 years old and like post hernia op Roy Keane and couldn't get around like he once could and uh, and and United I mean they didn't quite sack him but he went in November like outside of a transfer window because he gave an interview to MUTV and I think he criticized Rio Ferdinand and he was gone uh, because it was, it was no longer 28 year old Roy Keane who was tearing up midfields. It was 34 year old Roy Keane and, and yeah, and, and Ferguson wasn't having it anymore. And that was, that was clearly an expedient relationship. And we know since like, because of things Roy Keane said that he didn't like Alex Ferguson for a lot of the time. And, and, you know, I don't think Ferguson is a a particularly charitable, affable character. I'm sure he carried deep in the pits of his stomach, you know, a real grudge against Roy Keane for that. But while Roy Keane was one of the best players in the world, he bit his lip and held onto it until he wasn't anymore. And then he, you know, then, then he like brandished the knife as it were. So, um, yeah, it, it could be that the thing that maybe we've criticised Arteta about, maybe not being expedient, maybe he has been. You know, m- yeah. maybe he put up with Aubameyang, um for all this time until such time that, you know, he, he wasn't doing it anymore. Yeah, and I think the the one thing that I, I don't think is relevant, you know, there are people like, well, look, Aubameyang's had disciplinary problems before. He was, you know, a problem at, at Dortmund. So, you know, this is just who he is. I think you have to throw that out for one very simple reason. At the point at which we decided to give him one of the biggest contracts in the history of Arsenal Football Club, knowing who he was previously at Dortmund and his who he was at Arsenal, you no longer get the right to go back and say, ah, but see, this is what he was like before. Because it's like if you go to buy a house for $10 million and they show you the inspection report and they say the foundation has a crack in it, and you say, I'm going to buy it anyway. Or you've then lived it in it down. for two and a half years. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> you, you, you lose exactly. You lose the right to say, "Oh, the you know prior prior defect." I think the other look. The other thing is, if you got ten legendary managers around a round table and laid out a disciplinary challenge and said, "How would you handle it?" I think you'd get ten different ways of handling it. We are often fixated on the idea that there is a right way to do things and there is a wrong way to do things, and I think that that loses the nuance that different managers will handle situations differently. What we can probably agree on is that Arteta handled this in the strictest way possible. And he may have been one he may have been 100 percent warranted in doing so. But I think it's last chance saloon with this in this respect. There reaches a point where even if you're right every time, if something continues to happen, people will lose patience for it. And I don't think Arteta is going to have many more chances to go back to Stan and say, I want to cancel this giant contract of this big superstar because he's not behaving the way I want him to. At some point, and again, it's not me saying he handled it wrong. It's not me saying that Oba didn't deserve it. I just think there's only so many times you can play that card before they say, find a different way. So we but will have but to but see. But you don't think in out. this particular case, for example, that Josh wasn't cheering him on the man who said we've the Champions League wages for a Euro- Europa League squad. like Well, again, I, I, it de- you know what, Paul? It depends on how they view 
paying him wages to leave the club. Like that, that, you know, it's hard to present that no, as a victory. There's no way they don't see that they saved something like they say, 20 yes, million. No question. No, I but, totally agree. Tim, you had, you had a thought there? Yeah, yeah. I, I've been wondering more and more in, in recent days about that meeting between Arteta and Kroenke in Denver and what was discussed because, like, did Arteta fly to Denver to say, uh, yeah, we're just going to let everyone go? Like, that <laughs> that strikes me, like, just after that, like, Chambers goes, like, I, I'm, I'm completely speculating here, but I, I really think Arteta went there a little bit with the begging bowl maybe and went, look, we've got to go big for a striker. And, and you know, I've, I've got no evidence for this at all, but I've got the feeling that Stan was like, no, not this time. I did it for party. We wrote off Willian. We're writing off at like a Bamiang's wages. Like, no, this, this stops now. And maybe, maybe if you clear decks a little bit, then in the summer, maybe we can go to like, a big release clause or something like that. But no, I, I, I've, yeah. I've just, I've got this feeling that he might've just put his foot down because I just can't imagine that Arteta went to Denver. He might've been summoned and told, look, we're clearing decks, but I don't imagine that he went there to sell to Kroenke the idea of getting rid of all these squad players. I, like that just doesn't, no. doesn't seem like a no. thing that would happen to me. All of us, everybody in life has reached a point, some point, where they were right about something and still got punished for it, or acted right, did the right thing, followed their true north, did what they felt is right, and still were punished. And so it can be true that this was the right way to handle it, and also true that it's burned a little bit of goodwill. Um, Tim, I think I think we get to turn the page now on this, which is good, mm-hmm. but yep. I do think it is important, you know, I can be tedious about a lot of shit, God knows, but like... You know, when you say something like, should we be giving a 31-year-old this bumper contract? And people say like, well, it's not our money. Why do we all have to be accountants? Arsenal fans always think they have to be accountants. Like, I do hope that we can reach a point where we look at it and say, okay, you know what? Yeah, the problem is that's why we're finishing the season with Eddie Nketiah and Alexander Lacazette as our striking options trying to stalk down top four. Like, it's not that any of us want to be accountants or care about Stan's money. Is that the bad decisions we make? Yeah, it winds up mattering to us as fans, to what we get to watch and how we get to succeed. Yeah, yeah, and because it shows on the pitch essentially, and that that's mm-hmm. you're exactly right. That is why people care. I mean, there might, there, I'm I'm sure there are people who are really into like the financial side, the contractual side, and <clears throat> and that's absolutely fine. That's one of the giant wonderful- gooder. <laughs> <Just kidding. laughs> that, but that's one of the wonderful things about football is like you can get whatever you want out of it if you just want to like drink five beers. And and watch it and swear and shout at the referee and then go home. You can do. I, I've got friends who who have season tickets at other clubs. Do not want to talk about football at all at any time. They just want to go to the game, have a few drinks, shout at people, and then go home and forget about <laughs> that it. That sounds great. That and, sounds and, great. <laughs> and, but like, if you're into analytics, data, if you, if you're into like the more like emotive stuff, like you can see football as art, you can see it as maths, you can see it as science, you can see it as accounting. Like, there's something it's for a everyone, puzzle, right? Yeah. It, yeah, absolutely. But you're right. I think the majority of people, I don't give a shit about accounting or anything like that. But it's because it matters because it has an impact on the pitch, whether you like it or not. And the people, who, by the way, who say it's not your money. Uh, wrong unless you support Manchester City <laughs> Chelsea or PSG it is your money right whether you go through the state whether you go through the turnstiles whether you buy the shirt 
whether um, you know whether you watch Arsenal's YouTube channel and boost their metrics, whether you have a TV subscription, it's your money. Every single penny a club gets is because of you, right? And Adidas don't put millions into Arsenal for any other reason then you will go and buy their stuff, right? That, that's that's So it all comes from you somehow. Like no one other than um, a few nation states who are trying to sport wash just puts money in for, like, for no reason or expects it to fall into a black hole. It's because they expect something to come out of it. So it is your money for a start. But but yeah, it absolutely has an impact on the pitch. And, and who, like which club has seen that more than Arsenal in recent years with the amount of money like the amount of, don't like using the word assets, the amount of players we've let walk away on a free. And, and the, the thing that kind of blows my mind, Elliot, even like the really big expensive mistakes like Sanchez, Welbeck, Ramsey, Ozil, I guess Aubameyang, like leaving all that money on the table, we could have withstood that if we'd sold Chambers and Maitland-Niles and Nketiah and Lacazette and players who are never going to change the trajectory of the club. Like, you you can forgive maybe holding on to Alexis Sanchez or Aaron Ramsey for too long, even if it's still a bit silly. Like, you can forgive it because they're really important players and they'll be difficult to replace. But, like, not, not cutting and running with some of these squad players who could have got us a decent amount of money. That, that to me... You know, I know I said this on the last pod, but that that's to me is the the story of this window. We didn't have rainy day money when we needed rainy day money, and it's because a lot of the guys who've left on loans um, and free transfers this January, um, when if we'd let them go a year or eighteen months earlier, they could have bought in you know tens of millions of pounds for us to to really hit the hit the panic button on a striker, but we couldn't do it. Yeah, and and I I want to say that. This turning of the page maybe started last summer with you know bringing in younger players, trying to change the plan about the rebuild, doing a pretty good job with it. And to that point, then I have to praise the club because if we're going to talk about caring about the accounting and it's, it is our money and we have to care about then I have to praise the club. You know, we can't make the same kind of mistakes where we overpay, we overextend on contracts, and then it's not what we needed, and then we're stuck. Like, not paying Isaac's release clause if it's double what we value him for, I get that it would have been more fun to have Ezek than not have Ezek. It'd be a lot more fun. But paying double the market value of a player, again, you can say, well, it's not our money, we're not counts, but that's how you wind up stuck with the Oba situation or the Pepe situation, if you regard that as a problem. And like, yes, there's always the chance that player hits the level you're hoping for. But I I can't be critical of the club for not making the kind of mistakes we've made in the past where we overpay on a solution that we think we need right now. We need it right now. It's a panic. We got to have it right now. And then somehow we find ourselves saying, well, this has hamstrung our other moves. This is, you know, short-circuited our rebuild because we got to get new contracts to Saka and we got to mind his development and ESR's development and Odegaard and Martinelli. And, you know, if we spend money in inefficient ways and we can't surround them with what they need. Forget this season. The bright future that we think we have isn't so bright anymore. Paul, you want to add on, on any of these points that range all yeah, over the place? Basically? I think the interesting <laughs> thing is like in the discussion of, well, we shouldn't have to think about the money or how does it impact us or it's somebody else's money. This happens to be a weird period of a couple of years in which in fact, KSE have not had us, 
work within our year-to-year budget. They have not had us work as a self-sustaining club. And, like, I can't imagine uh, the pain we would be going through as a club, as a squad, as fans, if they'd actually said, well, hey, you guys over there at Arsenal spent all your money, uh, suck it up, live with what you got. I mean, what's going on at the moment? We we spent a hundred and whatever, 40, 150 million in the summer. We don't have. It's COVID times. In any case, like we buy, but but we don't sell for money. I mean, it doesn't add up. And if in this particular window of time, not not window of, of transfers, but window of time of the last couple of years, happens to be the couple of years that KSC said, you know what? Let's not check our bank balance. <laughs> Let's not make sure things add up. Because, like, s- since we started, you know, we bought Lacazette, Aubameyang, uh, we bought uh, Pepe, we, you know, 150 million, 40 million last summer, uh, going in for Vlahovic or whoever this window. I mean, they're not looking at the bank balance. And I suspect that the meeting uh, with Arteta and I would say Josh Cranky and Stan making cocktails in another room, listening to the noise. <laughs> like it would have been about a lot of things, but I think in part it will be about making sure that Josh Cranky and Arteta and Edu, who was busy, are fully aligned on a very, very difficult uh, portion of our transition, where we're getting rid of. Basically, we're getting rid of the bums. Um, we. We were in the market for a very expensive player. Like these are delicate moves, and you get you, you go for the wrong striker in this window, and you panic. As we've said, you block your future moves. I think they have a very tight plan. They've spent a lot of money getting rid of players. They want to make no mistakes in this window. They're going to go big again next summer, and I don't think there was a huge agenda in the meeting up apart from reassuring Arteta while they were giving away all his players and not replacing them, that it was all part of the big plan and making sure everybody was comfortable with it. And, you, you know, and then you got to reassess what our objectives are over the next few months and what it all means, Europa League versus Champions League. It's a very important time that those three individuals feel they're all part of the plan while you're doing really, really hairy things, getting rid of players, bringing in nobody, having a paper-thin squad. Aubameyang at that stage, we didn't have a deal, nor did we have a way out of his final year of his contract, right? We thought we were going to still get him back in six months. Like there were so many moving pieces with huge price tags and we're basically turning around to Arteta and saying, uh, you're not getting it. you're probably not getting any players, but you might get this one that's worth 70 million, but you probably won't. Yeah. Yeah. Well, Tim, um, before we move on and, and look ahead to how we actually get through the balance of the season, look, anybody who feels frustrated that we didn't get anybody, and I shouldn't say anybody, we did get Austin Trustee the process, and we did get Matt Turner. We don't know when or if they'll join the club, but we did get them. We should reference them, and, and that's great. Matt Turner, uh, you know, really nice goalkeeping. Uh, option to have when Leno goes and Austin Trusty will see if he ever did you becomes see, a part of Arsenal. Yeah. Did you see his headgear though last night? Now, oh my god! Well, I, I know this will be clo- close, literally close to home in Minnesota, mm-hmm. but 
I, I, I don't care what temperature is. I'm not having that. <laughs> I mean, it was 15 degrees below zero Fahrenheit this morning, if that gives you any idea. So, yeah, um, it, it can be un, an unbearable experience. No, fair enough. Okay, no, no snoods for Tim. Tim, I'm going to put you in that temperature, and uh, we will see if you change your opinion on snoods um, and, and crazy headgear. He did look a little bit like a Pen 15, but that's a different issue. Um, so, look, but before we move on, I can totally understand because I, I connect with the frustration that we did not get players in. We have a shot at champions league. It's as good as anyone else, but we are paper thin in some areas and especially up front and we didn't do it. And it may very well be the reason we don't get there. And yet I find myself happy that the club is trying to be disciplined in its recruitment approach and not paying a hundred million for 50 million pound players. And yet that money that stays in our account doesn't go score goals for us. So are you able to, to embrace the duality, to be frustrated yeah. we got no one in, but also happy that the club is finding discipline that will benefit us long-term as we try to build this thing into something special. Yeah, 100%. Life's complicated, isn't it? And, so, and sometimes Sadly, yes. Hold... I'm, finding, I'm finding that right now, yes. Yeah, yeah. And sometimes you can hold contradictory positions at the same time. And yeah, that, that absolutely sums up for me. In the last days of that window... Um, I, I think I might have even tweeted, like, if we get no one, uh, in a weird way, I'll think that that's a lesson learned. Um, mm. Just because, I mean, like, you know, you can say that maybe Arsenal weren't flexible enough in their plan or anything like that, and I think that's fair enough. But I, I am glad they didn't just panic and grab at something. I am I am kind of, like, if they didn't think Isaac was the guy, for example, then no, don't go to that release clause because then that, impacts you know what if we get him and he's quite lukewarm and we can't get another striker and we can't get the Xhaka replacement you know like that's not worth it um even if even if you're of the opinion that you know let's say we don't get top four or whatever and and that maybe that's because we don't get a striker like you know we we have plenty of of very recent experience on how these things can hamstring you for quite a long time afterwards it's not it's not just a six month mistake like if you sign someone that you're not really sure about for more money than you think they're worth then that's like that's a four year mistake that's not a six month mistake so yeah i i do at the very least i think that um i i think it does look like they've learned something i you know i do think that I do find it hard to believe that maybe the Inketia replacement wasn't out there. Um, mm. I, I, I guess. Yeah, because we need two, right, Tim? I mean, that would have been yeah. the argument, is like, you don't have to buy the perfect striker this window because Lacazette's going to leave and Ketty is going to leave and Oba's gone. So really, next summer, we need two. You could have bought 1B instead of 1A, in theory. Yeah, yeah. And and I have to say, I, I listened to James Benj on, on the Askcast last week and and they were uh, earlier this week rather and, and him and Andrew were talking about like why didn't we go for like a, a Jovic on loan or something but actually he and, and, and I thought you know well look in the absence of literally anything else then yeah surely we've got to do something like that even if it's a bit reluctant but I think he made like a fair point about you know the 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 spirit of the squad and you know some of these players they're available on loan for a reason um, quite frankly, and you know, we know Arteta's quite big on like the spirit of the squad and all of that, as we've seen. And and so, yeah, even I guess the fact that they didn't even pull the panic lever on like a, a short term loan, and and like we've done a lot of loans, and none of them have been any good 
ever. Um, o- Odegaard, Odegaard, Odegaard. Yeah, but then, but then we made that permanent, didn't we? So, yeah, like, yeah, yeah. You, you almost um, discount that. Yeah, I, I, I totally agree, and I, I think uh, Paul, why don't you quickly add on that? Because then I, I do want to move forward. Yeah, like I, I'm sure we looked at options, but it's very tricky for the reasons you guys just talked about with, like, how many of these loans work out. But even the permanents, like we got Thomas Party in. How was his first six months with us? Like he got an injury, I know, but then he joined us and like uh, he started off like he did start off fast, then disappears. Odegaard started off fast with us, then he got an injury. You know, like the first six months, you you might think something's better than nothing, but I think unless they look at a guy who's match fit, who's ready, who fits, who's ready to go, uh, fits our style, we have a style of playing now. Um, I assume they looked at options. It's it's very hard to pick a player. And I think as well, part of it is we have such a low view of Eddie at the moment. And Arteta just doesn't share that, I don't think. I think he thinks he's better than we do. And you might think that's because he's deluded. But I think it's I d- because I he practices. <laughs> yeah, I know. I know. I, but I like if you have players in your squad, and I don't know that Eddie's one of those, who do a great job um in practice in training and you like what they do and the other options aren't that great in terms of the lo- you go through the list of possible loans this guy's got one leg this guy's got a foot on backwards this guy hasn't played all years this guy is great but the money is ridiculous this guy's great but we think they're just going to screw us around and we won't get him before the end of the window um and we're talking about one of those options already and he trains great for you and works great within your team, and he's had no minutes. Um, like uh, you, yeah. you, you may well take the Arteta option and say, you know what, I'm going to back Eddie. He knows what we're yeah. trying to do, and and like there's going to be a gap between what yeah. we think of Eddie and what potentially Arteta thinks of him, and okay. we'll we may well find out. I, I think you're spot on there, and I want to just make two points about that. One is. You're absolutely right. That's why the manager gets paid the big bucks to make those decisions. But you then have to answer for them if they don't work out. Mm-hmm. If Lacazette gets injured and you've backed Eddie and you have to use Eddie and he does not perform at the level required and he didn't live up to what you thought you had in him, that's, I'm not saying you sack a manager, but those are the kinds of things managers get judged on. So you're right. He may feel that way and he has every right to feel that way. He gets to make those decisions. He's the manager, not you or me or Tim, sadly. Um but you get judged on them too. It is fair game to be judged if that doesn't work out. And the only other point I'd make is, this is why it's dumb to ever look at any window in isolation. Why didn't we get a striker in this window? Because we still have Lacazette and Eddie and Kedia. If Lacazette and Eddie and Kedia had moved on probably when they, quote, should have, there'd be new strikers at Arsenal. Would they be great? I, I can't answer that. But all of this is linked. So I do want to move forward and, and look to the future but yeah, these are the decisions that managers get judged on. And, you know, maybe this small, tight-knit squad with a great culture and great spirit right now will get him where he needs to go, and he deserves credit if that's what happens. Um, I should mention, this podcast is sponsored by BetterHelp Online Therapy. We talk about BetterHelp a lot on the show, and this month we're discussing some of the stigmas around mental health. Uh, one, for example, would be some people think you should wait until things are unbearable to go to therapy. But that isn't true. Therapy is a tool to utilize before things get worse, and it can help you avoid lows. And we've been taught that mental health shouldn't be a part of normal life. But that's wrong, too. We take care of our bodies with the gym, maybe less than we should. The doctor and nutrition, maybe less than we should. 
we should be focusing on our mind just as much. And I do want to say that like I have done therapy and it was one of the most valuable things I've ever done. I probably haven't done it enough. I was probably too reluctant to. I am going through an excruciatingly difficult period in my life right now around work. But, you know, we start to talk ourselves in the idea. It's okay to be yelled at at work. It's okay to be screamed at. It's okay to go through, you know, to be mistreated and 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 berated. And that's normal. And you find yourself being visceral, viscerally miserable, that point where it's a knot in your stomach, where you're short of breath, where you're not sleeping. And like, I need help. And I need to reach out and ask for that help. And like, it's available and it's there. And so, I, you know, as someone who's done therapy, it is just such a powerful tool. So I couldn't be more behind that idea. And BetterHelp is customized online therapy that offers video, phone, and even live chat sessions with your therapist. So you don't have to see anyone on camera if you don't want to. It's more affordable than in-person therapy, much more affordable, and you can be matched with a therapist in under 48 hours. So give it a try and see why over 2 million people have used BetterHelp online therapy. I mean, this is a, a company that's basically just making it easier to access a critical thing to do for your well-being. The podcast is sponsored by BetterHelp, and Arsenal Vision uh, listeners get 10% off their first month at betterhelp.com slash vision. That's betterhelp, B-E-T-T-E-R-H-E-L-P.com slash vision. Uh, I think it's a powerful message. You can do it now. Okay. Um, Tim, let's move forward a little bit, and I think you know one of the questions then is going to be how we can get to where we need to go this season. Um, you know, with what we have left. And I'm curious what you think of the striker position in terms of who's available. Lacazette, Eddie and Kedia. Jack Wilshire did an interview, big praise for Gabriel Martinelli. I mean, how do you see the striker position playing out for the balance of the season? Between Pepe, Martinelli, Lacazette, and Nketiah, I think those would be the options that fans would point to. I'm not sure that Arteta himself would point to, to them, especially Pepe. But do you have a sense of what we need to get from that position and, and who might provide it? So I think it will be Lacazette and Enketia, um, unless um, both are injured. I, I don't see anyone else playing there. I, I think he'll keep Martinelli going um, on that left side um, and try to get goals out of him. Get goals out of him that way. When you look at where Arsenal's shots come from, and I had a look at this a couple of days ago because I was curious um, that you know the highest volume shooters per ninety are Pepe, Saka, Smithrow, Martinelli. Um, what does that tell you? It all comes from wide, essentially. Those, yeah. th- those, are, those. Are, that's where the shots um, come off. So, I, I think he'll keep Martinelli going. Um, and I, it's interesting. I did, admittedly, I probably did it a bad time because it was just after the transfer window shut and the most emotive time. But I did a Twitter poll on which combo do you think will score more goals before the end of the season between Martinelli and Pepe and Lacazette and Nketiah? And I think it was about 95% said Martinelli and Pepe. Um, mm. But uh, like still like absolutely overwhelming majority. And, and I, I agree with that as well, even though I don't think Pepe is going to start many games because he shouldn't. Um, and, you know, I guess I'm a bit dubious as to how much of a super sub he's ever been, but I think he's we, he's just going to have to step into that role. Basically, we need his goals, but he's not going to start over Saka and Martinelli and shouldn't. So we, we need him to like really assume that. I, I, I think that <clears throat> the, the balance of probabilities just tells you that it's going to be Lacazette or Enketia up front. Um, it will be mainly Lacazette. 
I think Nketi will rotate in, come on as a sub, you know, start the odd game, but it will mainly be Lacazette. And we'll look, we'll look to, we'll continue to look to getting goals from like the exterior of that attack. Because you look at, you look at Arsenal's spine, there's not a lot of goals in it because Erdegaard doesn't score that many goals. Party doesn't, Xhaka doesn't. Uh, obviously, you're going further back to like the centre back. Like Arsenal's spine is all about facilitation from Ramsdale to Ben White to Xhaka to Party to Erdegaard to Lacazette. That entire spine is about facilitation. And that means that the exteriors of the attack, that's where Arsenal are really looking to get their goals from. And and on one hand, it's it's probably quite encouraging that our highest volume shooters are pretty much all wide players. And I include Smith Rowe in that because I think he's played the majority of his football wide. Um, and, and I do think that's probably his best position. Um, so uh, like that, that's where it's going to come from uh, for me. It's going to go, you know, we, we're going to need Saka to maybe up his finishing a little bit. He's, he's shooting a lot more this season, which is great. Um, but, you know, hoping that Smith Rowe can continue on his little run, um, hoping Martinelli can get the goals, hoping like I do think Pepe will get goals if he gets minutes. Um, he might frustrate the hell out of us and do lots of things that drive us mad, but he'll he'll score goals as well. So that that for me, it's almost, uh, I wouldn't say it's secondary who plays centre forward, but I just don't think, at least for the remainder of this season, the centre forward role is about anything other than, obviously you want goals from it. Um, and in a weird way, I think Inketia is more like like Inketia is more likely to score than Lacazette, but I don't think hmm. he's quite as good at the facilitation thing. He's improved at that, but I don't think that's his strength at all. Um, so yeah, it, it's it's going to come from a combination of the wide players, and I think we've got four there who hmm. can score goals. It's just to what extent can they score goals? Because really, we need a bit more from all of them um, to varying degrees. Yeah, we need Martinelli or Saka, or preferably both, to just go supernova the rest of the season, like really yeah. ascend to what they can be. Because if you told me we finished top four and asked me how I think we got there, um, short of all the other teams having like COVID absences every single game, I would say Martinelli and Saka went crazy, you know, or one of them did. Yeah, Paul, let, let me ask you a tricky one. If I could offer you that either Party or Lacazette would stay fit and start and be able to play 90 minutes in every one of the 17 remaining games this season, but the other one would miss all of them, which would you choose for being available and which would you choose for missing? Jesus. Um, by the Party way, or Lacazette? I, mm-hmm. I'd, I'd almost throw in Tommy Asu into the choice of three I wouldn't like to lose. Mm. Uh, because, yeah, that's fair. And and do we have any update on his injury situation? Because it's a little bit uh, worrying, isn't it? I didn't see him training. Uh, yeah. He hasn't been spotted in the pictures, but hopefully... As a quick aside about those pictures, by the way, they do seem to genuinely be having... A, I mean, look, they're in, they're, they're in a warm, <laughs> beautiful time. area. Not, right. Obviously, they're having a great time. But, like, I, you know, it certainly doesn't seem to be an unhappy camp. Anyway, sorry. Go ahead. Which which would you pick? Let's leave Tomiyasu out of that. Hope yeah, yeah. he comes back and, and everything's sure. fine. Which would you pick between the two? Uh, it's tough, but I would go with Lacazette, mainly because I did a little exercise, a bit like Tim, um, uh, in the last day or so. I was looking at goals scored when Aubameyang is up top this season and goals scored with Lacazette, and we're basically scoring it. Now, you have all sorts of issues with strength of fixtures, opponents, blah, 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 sample size, but 
We're scoring two and a half goals, basically, with Lacazette up front um, and conceding 0.7 and with Aubameyang. And this isn't really a knock against Aubameyang because, like, it was more than about Aubameyang. But we were, it was 1.5 and 1.5 for and against. We were basically uh, scheduled to draw every game with Aubameyang. So that's this is more about Lacazette for me in that when he's on the pitch, we score goals. He doesn't score them, but we do. Um, and I don't think you want to take that out of the, out of the mix. So you're asking me, um, could we do it with Lacazette in the middle, uh, Martinelli on the left, Saka on the right, uh, Odegaard sprinkling in some Smith row when, when we need a goal in the last 20 minutes, which is always, and then Sambi and Chaka in midfield. Um it would require Chaka calming down a bit. And uh, Sambi, like, I think Sambi has been pretty good in, in recent games where maybe not everybody loved him. I think he's growing all the time. Um, so if I, if I had to go one way or the other, I can't see. If we lose Lacazette, we lose the way we play. Uh, I don't really want to call my own bluff on Eddie and Katia if I don't have to. Uh, <laughs> I, I want Lacazette for 17 games and uh, let her roll, let her rip. Yeah. Um, I'd probably pick Party only because if I look at the Manchester City game and say, I want that, and this may be wishful thinking, but I want that to be who we are and how we play. I want us to be able to press. I want us to be able to put party in midfield and basically run the show in there and push other people up the pitch and maybe play more 4-3-3 so you can have Smithrow and Odegaard both play if you want, like if you want. I think that works with party. I think if party is out and you have to go Shacky and Shacky, 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 Shack and Samby, Shacky. If you have to go Shacky in midfield, um, then you maybe lose some of the options and and then maybe that means Smithrow's playing less. I don't know. I mean, I, I also think- I just don't see we that we have press, the same pressing game if we lose like that, even if we don't think of him as a presser, it allows us to set up in a way that we're I just much, I think more, important. much more front-footed. Uh, you know, he's so important to that ball up the middle as well from Ramsdale, um, being able to handle that and distribute it. And the interplay with the, his relationship with Odegaard, with Saka... God, I think you lose a lot of emergent property there when you lose Lacazette. It's not it's not about the individual players. And it's not because I don't see what you say about party, but I, I think one of them changes our style more than the other. Interesting. Yeah, I mean, that's why it's a hard question, right? Because you yeah. really ideally want both. I think, I think I can see ways we could play as a pressing force and retain some of the things we want to do in advanced areas. But no, I take your point. It's not an easy one. Tim, do you, do you have a, a lean? Because I'm sympathetic to either selection. Yeah, I, that's a really, really difficult one. I think I'd probably just go for party, um, like like to to be in the team, um, as it were. Just yeah, it, it, it is a really difficult one. I do have this feeling, and it's only really a feeling, so we've never seen it before. That if Inketi had got a run of games, he'd be okay. Um, and we've seen at the very least he does get chances, and you know to be. Um, like to be fair we always talk about that with Aubameyang right and even when he misses chances we say well he gets chances that's what he what he does and and Eddie's been getting them he's not been scoring them and that's led to like a lot of bad feeling towards him I think but you know I I, I do think he obviously he wouldn't do the Lacazette role like Lacazette 
Um, but I do think at least he'd bring he'd bring something to the party, as it were. Um, <laughs> and, and I'm not saying like because who would we play without party? It'd be Sambi Lakonga. And uh, yeah, I, I just think ultimately Eddie's what 23 and Sambi Lakonga's 21. And I know their careers have been slightly different, but yeah, I, I just think that if I had to, if we had to play Eddie Nketiah up front for 17 games, we'd we'd probably be all right. Whereas without yeah. party, I I do think there's just more of a chance that things would fall apart a little bit. This is going to sound so reductive, but I've watched Arsenal play with midfields that I regard as not up to the level. And it, I think it's one of the biggest reasons we've failed to make top four um, over the years. I, Tim, I'll stick with you for a second. I think, look, Bukayo Saka needs a new contract. But everybody's in favor of that. And I think he is a player we'd back up a Brinks truck for, and I, I, no one would argue with it. So I don't think that's a debatable topic. I do want to bring up a topic that, honestly, don't there's no easy way to discuss it without <laughs> it just devolving into a, something that's going to piss people off, but we're going to have to do it. Mikel Arteta is getting to a point where his contract is a discussion. And mm-hmm. we know that it's out there in the ether, the idea of him getting an extension. Um I am curious what you think, if anything, needs to be proven down the stretch this season and needs to happen for that to be something that would be warranted this summer. And again, like, it's so hard. The framing of this question is hard because I don't want to make it loaded. I just want it to basically be, look, you don't just give managers extra years for no reason. Like, what what are the, what are the, what are the, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Criteria. The goals. The, the KPI. What are, what's the acronym? KPI, thank you. I need a business acronym. My business brain is fully broken right now. What are the KPIs the rest of the season where you would feel pretty comfortable with that decision? So I kind of think that um, that m- maybe we start the discussion in the summer rather than the like, oh, yep, you've definitely got the new contract. I mean, if Arsenal get into the top four, I don't think any of us could enormously complain if that happened and, you know, he'd deserve that. But at the same time, like, you know, like you always say, Elliot, like contracts shouldn't be given out as rewards or or as thank yous. It's like, okay, but do we think that you can keep us on this kilter? And and it would be difficult because he'd have at the very least earned the right to try, right? He'd be able to rightfully say, look, I've got us back into the Champions League so, you know, and, and we've got there. And, and the thing is now, this is his squad, right? These are his players. Like, there's been a pretty brutal cut, um, you know, to do my usual Simpsons analogy, the Simpsons episode where Homer just says, you're cut, you're cut, you're cut. That's kind of what's happened. <laughs> and if you've survived that, that means that Arteta likes you <laughs> or or else your contract is up at the end of the season and you're going to go anyway. So, like... You know, he could justifiably say, look, we did this my way with my guys and here we are. So trust me, you know, trust the process and all of that. But I still don't think it necessarily like it it shouldn't be as absolutely straightforward as that. Like, you know, it shouldn't be entirely results oriented, you know, a bit like you might win a game. And you might win a big game, but you might be a bit lucky, you know, like the the journey is important in that respect. So like for me, if he got in the top four, look, I, I wouldn't really grumble if, if he got a new contract as to what type of contract that is like an Alan Pardew eight year contract. No, um, <laughs> no, 
Obviously it just makes not. me laugh thinking that that was once upon a time. A thing. <laughs> that, that, that actually, that was a thing that happened. Yeah. yeah. But like mm-hmm. anything else. And to be honest, I would still, I, I'd probably open the discussion in the summer and say, okay, all right, what are you after? Like if Arsenal finished seventh or eighth or anything like that, then I don't think there should, like the discussion should open. It should be like then it's okay. a different discussion if you know well, what I mean. <laughs> yeah, but then even then you can you can let the contract run a little bit. Like I don't get the sense that Mikel Arteta is going to be so in demand that we must tie him down. Like I do think you could potentially let that hang a little bit. We did it with Arsene Wenger several. Can, can times. I disagree with that on one point? Just tell yeah, you why sure. I think that that doesn't work. I I don't want so coaches are naturally short term in their thinking, right? They should be. And directors of football should be a check on them. And maybe there's a conversation about how this dovetails with Adu. But like, I think a coach who is in the last year of his deal has so much he needs to achieve personally for himself mm. that it may lead to short-term thinking yeah, or yeah. decision-making that doesn't benefit the club in the long... You, you know what I mean? It, it yeah, may yeah. get to be... It may lead you to make too many short-term decisions. Yeah, yeah. And that, and that's fair enough. And, you know, maybe there's, there's you know, maybe there's an incentivized deal you can offer or something like all True, very yeah. complicated or, you know, if if this happens, you'll get this. And if this happens, you you know, because that, that, that's the thing we've got in Arteta is that, like, I think he really wants this job still. Like, I, I don't think his head would be turned um really and like unless like maybe if the man city job came up but even then like i i'm not yeah i mean all right maybe the man city job would turn his head would turn his head but but like <laughs> do I, we get pep in that scenario or I, like <laughs> i i don't think that's a thing that's going to happen anyway so like i i do think that arteta like he always wanted this job he was never really seriously linked with anything else it was only arsenal he clearly wants it like he clearly like he, I think he's an Arsenal man. I do, um, and and that was one of the things I I that would attracted me to the idea of appointing him. I do think that there is a depth of feeling for him with this club, and I do think that he really looked at this and said, "Yeah, I can build this club back up again." And there's a sense of professional pride in that. So, I don't think his head would be turned that much, but it it would be like I, I'm sure that if he gets six or better, he'll get a new deal of some sort and it might just depend what flavor of deal if he gets in the top four i think that arsenal will give him <laughs> pretty much whatever he wants um which i don't necessarily think they should because i don't know about you look my personal feeling is i still feel like the jury is out um that that's my personal feeling on arteta um I, i've still got some way to go to be totally convinced um, mm-hmm. And I know like the contract's coming up and so you kind of have to have those crunch talks, but I, I'm still not all in on like, even if, cause like Arsenal could play pretty shit for the next 17 games, but win 12 of them one nil and qualify for the champions league. And that, that doesn't necessarily mean that we're on this great part. We could go and finish eighth next season again. And then what we've given him like a five year deal and, you know, so it, it it's really like it's really complicated. I think this is a really long way of saying I don't know, but I wouldn't throw the keys to the house at him just yeah. yet. Yeah, and I mean some of it's tied into Adu. How do they work together? Is Adu really his boss? What what does he think? But I do think part of the decision could also I mean, you can't let the inmates run the asylum, as they say. You can't let the players decide. But you can have talks with Saka and Martinelli and Smith Rowe and Odegaard and be like 
I, you know, are you excited to continue this journey with this guy? Because I do think to the extent if they believe he's developing them well and they really like what he's doing and they want to continue with him, that is a consideration because they are the future of the club. I mean, they are what we're building towards. I mean, Paul, do you have a sense of how you evaluate this? I mean, we've gone around and around on this in the past, which is like, we don't all think league position alone is sufficient. We don't all think XG tables alone are sufficient. We don't all think, you know, I test is it's it's a really complicated thing, and I I would I would say Arsenal fans in general I think are more reluctant resistant to change than some other fans. In general, we're scared of players leaving. Oh, don't sell him! Don't let him go! Don't sell him! And then they leave, and you're like, why are we worried about him leaving? We don't miss him at all. Don't sack managers, you know. I we and, and I think there's a class about that. We get attached to the people at our club, and we want to see them thrive. Then we don't want them to move on. But like, I you know me, Paul, with my terrible opinions. I tend to think it's actually pretty easy to get over losing just about anyone. I mean, I can't think of a player that's left Arsenal in the last decade or so that we really had any problems with losing. Um, And I'm not sure that losing a manager is even that catastrophic. But that doesn't mean you want to do it capriciously. So what do you you think? What are the KPIs? How do we arrive at a, a sensible decision that you would back? With, with respect to his future. Yeah. All right. So the KPIs, I think, are simple. Uh, top six, uh, but don't stink the place up. Uh, in other words, yeah. you can, there are different ways to get top six, right? And So not 17 drab one nils. Well, if we get 17 drab one nils in a row, we'll be third. So that'll be fine. <laughs> yeah. Or like we, we, we have a good run at the start and then we just play bad football and there's no really good reason for it, you know, and people are getting people's feet are starting to shuffle and we're starting to lose belief. Uh, and it's not because we had a bunch of injuries or whatever. So uh, I think you can get t- top six and still... Now, that doesn't mean you should fire the guy, but I'm, I'm saying that's that's where you put it under the microscope and say, uh, that was bad, even though it was top six. There are good ways and bad ways to get top six. There's probably a good way to, to miss getting top six, but we'll leave that one aside. Um but I have a couple of other things I need to say about this. One is, <laughs> it doesn't matter. I, I don't like fans will get excited about this stuff and we'll get all up in arms about whether we give them a new contract. It doesn't matter. They get fired when they get fired. It has nothing to do with their contract or whatever. Like Nuno got about, what, a month and a half. Mourinho was, uh, where was he? He'd had about a year. He was gone. It doesn't fucking matter. You can Moyes had a six-year contract. Uh, you know, it doesn't matter. They get. F- Why do people care? I mean, uh, I kind of get well. it, <laughs> but, <laughs> but it has no. It, what does it mean? They're not going to. No manager stays to the end of his contract and it expires. Okay, a few do, but those are. You know, that, I, I, I get your point, right? If they extend him, it doesn't mean he's staying for three more years. I mean, it, yeah, it does Conte indicate a commitment took, to that direction. Yeah, yeah, but like, <laughs> what do they want? A, a semi-commitment to that direction and for the manager? Like, it doesn't matter. None of it you matters. You I think it is? Paul, you're right. I, I think what it is, honestly, is just people... And you're absolutely right. It's more narrative than it is impact because I think people will feel it's, it's a reward. It's a, well, people will feel it's yeah. a reward, right? And there'll be people who will say a reward for what exactly. But to your point, if you, what you care about is what matters, whether he has two years left, five years left, nine years left, if he fails, he's going to go. 
yeah. it depends what we see as and failure. And it's really and not, not the ownership that. that decides whether he goes. They may decide exactly when, but like yeah. the manager, our club didn't decide when Unai went. Like that no, was the it. Yeah. <laughs> well, the players, the players. That was performances, fans, yeah. media. Yeah. Like it just, it snowballs and they lose control. They had no desire to say, like it doesn't matter. I have one other thing to say on it though. And this is my personal feeling. I don't expect anybody else to embrace it. But I think. Good news for you then. Okay. Look, here's I'm going to try and sell why Arteta to all you guys beyond the reasons you think Josh and Arteta like each other. The Cronkies for the first time in forever look like they're engaged. They're investing. They're spending time. They we've got a good strategy that you can sense there's resonance between Cronky, Edu and Arteta. Uh Arteta, one of the big frustrations was fa- with fans is a lack of ambition about the club. Well, the one thing you will never have with Arteta, at least not in the foreseeable future, is a lack of ambition. And I think him and Kroenke, Josh Kroenke, there's a good chance that they're so much on the same page, enjoying this, enjoying football with a plan, with ambition. Now, uh, I don't want to push it too far. I'm just saying, compare it. Let's go back to a few years ago. I won't go through it because you just need to throw your mind back and remember how you felt with Cronky, whatever manager, and where the club was at. And compare the vibe you get with Josh Cronky, Arteta, the club, the investment, the direction, the policy. There's no way we got rid of every fecking player that needed to be got out of the squad and threw money out of that problem and spent 150 million last year on this radical strategy that no other club that I know have have done of going for 23 six 23 year olds in the one window it's unheard of and like no scrubs this this window like half of this window is great uh, what's the saying um, primum non nocere which is first do no harm right and mm. do not drag in players into the... We like all these guys. And so my pitch is, before you say, you know, Arteta's just another manager, I'm not sure we're going to get this win, this relationship, this window, this opportunity, where actually there is ambition in the club. We're engaged, we're, in lo- we're aligned. And maybe at the back of all of this is, is the Cronkies' own craven ambition because they see some form of European Super League or UEFA League, and that's where all this ambition is coming from. But I guess I wouldn't screw around swapping out the engine right now. Um, <coughs> it's, it seems yeah. like there's alignment. Awesome. I like it. Let's go for it. Yeah, it's funny. Like I, I have strong feelings about a lot of things. You may, you may know, but like, I, I think this is the problem. And Tim will finish on this. The discourse around Arteta, you'll be shocked to know, has become very polarized. <laughs> like so many things <laughs> on the internet, never. Uh, yeah, never. Um, and like the problem for me is, I see plenty of things going on at Arsenal with Arteta that actually have me encouraged. And that's as someone who will fully admit, raise my hand, I was Arteta out Boxing Day last season, you know, the day before Boxing Day. And maybe even at times this season, I've, I've fluctuated. I also see a lot of the concerns that people have that they raise, that they point to as, as reasons they don't believe. 
I am undecided. I am still open to the idea that Arteta is going to continue to improve, continue to show that we're moving in the right direction and fully win me over, not that that's what he's striving for, um, and also that some of my concerns may be realized and that maybe too too big a job, too soon, not quite ready, not what we hoped, and, and it won't work out. I think it is okay to just say, I see the concerns, I see mm-hmm. the, the reasons for encouragement, and I'm open to seeing how this season goes. But people would view a new contract as a reward, and I am sympathetic to the people that would say, what exactly is it a reward for? What has he done yet that that reward is for? So is it really that, Tim, which is that, like, Paul's right. Giving him a new contract doesn't materially change much, but I think people will see it as a premature reward in some respect. Yeah, yeah, and I get that. And and also, it's complicated as well, right? Because he's, like, kind of ripped the whole squad up, which was very, very needed. And thus far, the players he's bought brought in, um, maybe Willian aside, have been pretty good. So you could look at it from that respect and say, well, what's the point in stopping him now? <laughs> now he's got to this stage, you know, he's, he's basically torn the house down and, you know, maybe he deserves a chance to build it back up again. Um, which is why, by the way, I, I think that and a lot of what Paul said, I, I think he will get a new contract. Um, and I think a lot of that's the reason why they viewed it as a pretty long-term project and what's the point in throwing him out like three quarters of the way through it. Um, but I, I mean, I'm, I'm with you in terms of um, I, I haven't really made my mind up on Arteta yet. Um, but the, the other thing I think you've got to consider as well, always pretty much always when you're making this type of decision is who else is there out there? So like, let's say we decide to go our separate ways with Arteta in the summer, then you've got to find someone else. And, and I'm not, look, I don't want to be one of those, or you, you know, be careful what you wish for types, but like a lot of our competitors have shown recently just how hard getting a new manager can be. Like, Mm. It, you know, we were at that crossroads with Everton, right? When we appointed Arteta and it was just Arteta or Ancelotti. Those were the only guys available. And there's a parallel universe somewhere where both clubs made a different choice. But how many times have Everton like messed it up since then? And they good coaches are at a premium. Um, they really are. Yeah. The demand is far higher than the supply. So unless Arsenal had a good idea of who they would appoint afterwards, um, you know, let's say they were sufficiently impressed by Vieira at Crystal Palace and thought, right, let's go for that. I mean, that to me would be kind of the same as just sticking with Arteta. It's still a relatively unknown quantity for a, a pretty inexperienced coach. But yeah, it's uh, there are so many other factors in it. And, and ultimately, I think it will just end up being easier keeping him than not if that makes sense. Yep, that makes plenty of sense to me. Well, you know what? There's a lot more to come this season and maybe this will all get clearer for us. I mean, in an ideal world, we just go on a rampage and we stay in fourth or even third or even first and win a title and then win the Champions League and maybe then we will reach some consensus on whether Arteta's the right guy, but maybe not. We'll see. Uh, Let's leave it there. We'll have more of these to do before we play again, but we do play Wolves uh, twice in February, I believe, and that's coming up next. So we will have, we'll have a lot more to go and I hope to be home soon so I can actually return to something like a regular schedule. Paul's on Twitter, pause my pants, thanks, boss. Woohoo! Tim's on Twitter. Sorbetto. Thanks, Tim. My pleasure as always. As we say, we love you uh, so, so much. And I can't tell you how much the pod means to me right now, uh, especially. So thank you. Uh, my name's Elliot Smith. You can block me on Twitter at Yankee Gunner. We love you. And we'll talk to you after Arsenal 10. Wolves nil. No.